Hi, everybody. Travis Frank here with a holiday gift idea that might just be the greatest gift you can give a loved one, especially a mentor in your life or a young child. I'm talking about a lifetime hunting or fishing license. Heck, you can even get them both. That's what my wife and I did for our two boys. We saved up and got them each a lifetime sportsman license when they were five and six years old. Just last week, my entire family pitched in to get our nephew a lifetime sportsman license this year for Christmas. It's the gift that keeps giving for the rest of their life. If they move out of Minnesota, that's okay. Their license is always valid when they come back. If license prices go up, that's okay. Their license is already purchased. When I say forever, I mean forever. And just think about all of the memories they'll be making on the water, in the fields, and in the woods. The process to obtain this license is very simple. Just head to the Minnesota DNR website and search for lifetime licenses. You'll see all of the licenses available and the information needed to order them. This year, instead of purchasing a gift that will go out of style or get tossed in the dumpster, get your loved one a gift that lasts forever. Share the outdoor passion this holiday season. One day, they might just tell you it's the greatest gift they ever received. Hi again, everybody. Ron Shera here with another Minnesota Bound podcast, the story behind the stories. And uh, today I have a very special guest uh, who I met a long time ago, um, but he has since uh, showed up back into my circle of of acquaintances. And that means I'm talking with Aaron Hyvison. Aaron, did I pronounce that right? Hyvison? Hey, Bison. Close enough. I'm sorry. Hey, Bison. Aaron Haybison. Aaron is uh, an official with the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Organization. And one reason I wanted to chat with Aaron is because uh, uh, that's a relatively new organization. A lot of folks may have heard of it, maybe don't know what it's all about. So, Aaron, you're on the hot seat here for that. And you're, you are a chapter coordinator uh, in Minnesota and some other surrounding states. Is that right? Yep, correct. Yep. Uh, So Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is a nationwide organization uh, that focuses on public land access and opportunity. So I guess the way I compare it is similar to other conservation organizations. We engage on policy, kind of boots on the ground, stewardship work. But uh, instead of focusing specifically on a specific species like some other organizations do, we focus on the land and water and access to those public places. What uh, little history there, was there a person that started this or uh, how did it come about, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers? Yeah, so the organization started in 2004 out in Oregon uh, around a campfire. There was a group of friends that got together and they said, you know, there's all these really good groups doing great work for pheasants, for ducks, for turkeys, for elk, uh, but no one's really talking about the places that we all try and go. And as there begins to be more, be more urban sprawl, uh, and we have less and less of these public places. Who's standing up for those areas that, you know, all of us can go and try and enjoy, whether it's fishing, hunting, foraging, camping, uh, berry, berry picking, and bird watching? Well, wasn't, uh, aren't our state DNRs supposed to be doing some of this? Yeah, certainly. The, uh, I mean, the DNR looks at it more from a, a management from a, I guess, I would say utilitarian uh, viewpoint of what's the best for not only the public, but, uh, you know, for timber management or mining or the greater good of uh, 
all Minnesotans, rec- you know, recreationally um, and or, you know, for industry extraction. And so for us as a as a nonprofit organization, we're able to focus in a little bit more on some of the um, policy pieces that a state agency can't engage on as heavily. So you're you're kind of um, you're, you're a lot of effort there in Washington, D.C. with Congress, I take it. Yep. Washington, D.C., as well as at the state capitals and local uh, government as well, you know, county boards uh, and that type of thing. Um, so you tell me a little bit about what you do for backcountry. Um, I know you're a you're an official there. You're a chapter coordinator. What's that mean? Yeah. So our staff uh, is headquartered in Missoula, Montana. Uh, so the organization has probably about half of our staff, which is roughly about 20 people uh, based out of that Montana office. And then the other half is field staff. So I'm one of those field staffers and I oversee chapters in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, and Missouri. Um, And it's everything from helping plan stewardship projects to uh, helping send out action alerts for specific, you know, legislative policy pieces, uh, scheduling other fundraising type events, as well as just engaging with members, uh, you know, throughout those states. I'm kind of curious, how many chapters are in Minnesota? Are there one or more? It is just one. So we've got uh, about, I think it's 48 chapters uh, nationwide. We're, we're still holding out for uh, Hawaii and Delaware, but we do have just a single chapter per state. Um, it gives us a little bit more unification when we're talking to legislators that, you know, if I'm calling from somewhere down in Red Wing, I can only really communicate directly with my local legislators. But if I'm speaking to a legislator out in Western Minnesota or up North uh, to say that backcountry hunters and anglers has members, you know, state chapter members located throughout the state, it gives us a little bit more clout uh, and ability to talk to different legislators. Yeah. Just uh, curious, what are some of the um, issues facing uh, you in Minnesota and your Minnesota members? Yeah, so we've got about 1,400 members here in Minnesota, um, and they range really all across the state. And we really depend on those members to let us know what issues are happening in their areas. Um, but some of the things that the chapter right now is engaged with, uh, the, there's, there's sort of three or four big bullet points that we focus on. Um, supporting dedicated funding for the natural resource, specific natural resource projects uh, from the Lassard Sands Fund, uh, focusing on uh, chronic wasting disease and educating the public about it and uh, hoping for tighter restrictions around captive servant farms and lessening that spread, uh, management of uh, timber on WMAs, and uh, obviously protecting the Boundary Waters, which is the nation's biggest wilderness area. Well, you've got a lot of big issues there. That's great. There's some big ones, yeah. (laughs) Uh, We're going to take a short break here, and we'll come back and talk more about uh, uh, with Aaron Habison about backcountry hunters and anglers. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Our good friends at Connecticut. Yep, Connecticut Water. You know already how much my family loves Connecticut. We have it in our home, and this summer we added it to cabin life up north. And oh boy, what a difference. You see, for as long as I can remember, 
we have always dealt with cabin water, you know, that stinky, foul well water. But after really a painless four-hour installation, we had Connecticut soft water in the cabin and also Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make coffee in the morning. Great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. The laundry, it smells great now. And the Connecticut water cleaned up both our showers and also our dishes. The world's most effective worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family just like the Shirks did. Did you know that a propane gas furnace lifespan averages 20 years while electric heat pumps only last about 14 years? And propane furnaces work in all temperatures while delivering warm and consistent heat in your home. Why buy two heating systems when propane furnace can do it all? Lasts longer, works better, and costs less. These things and more are being done today with propane, the right energy right now. Hewitt Docks, Lifts, and Pond Two Legs began in a small south-central Minnesota town with a mission to make dock install and removal easier by inventing the roller dock. Well, now the company has evolved to provide everything you might need to improve your lake time. In addition to the classic roller dock or the new ultra dock system, Hewitt offers all-terrain staircases, gangways, canopies, and lifts, along with any accessory you might need. Celebrate 50 years of business with us. Go to HewittRad.com to enter for a chance to win a free dock and monthly prizes. Hewitt docks, lifts, and pontoon legs. Work hard, play harder. You deserve a Hewitt. Hi, well, welcome back to the Minnesota Bound Podcast. Ron Scherer here with me. Uh, my special guest today is Aaron Habison, who is uh, with the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Organization. If you've not heard of them, you should. Um, they are an organization. We have one chapter in Minnesota uh, dedicated to uh, making sure we have a place uh, always welcome to hunt or fish and to get our legislators uh, in in line with some of these objectives. Aaron, uh, we mentioned uh, some of the issues in Minnesota. Nationally, uh, has, has backcountry had success with either U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service or Congress? Uh, can you list anything like that? Sure. Yeah, there's been, there's been some really big wins that uh, we can say that we've been a big part of. Uh, over the last couple of years, one of the biggest things that we were focusing on was the full and dedicated funding for the Land and Water Conservation Fund through the Great American Outdoors Act. Uh, we had a really big push nationwide to having members reach out to uh, members of Congress and their legislators and asking them to, to support that. Uh, and we had, we had a lot of calls go out nationwide, <clears throat> calls, emails that went directly to those legislators that we feel contributed to the, the an uh, eventual passage of that. That was a pretty big one. Um, something that we have originally kind of focused a lot more on or, or as the organization started, there was been um, the, the potential for land sales uh, or the want by uh, private industry to privatize some of these public areas, whether that's for their own uh, you know, private interests or for um, extractive purposes but uh, trying to keep some of those areas open. We totally believe in that a public area should be managed for multiple use, uh, but it's not something that we want restricted. 
And what we've seen time and time again is that a federal area uh, or federally managed area, let's say like BLM land, uh, if it's sold off to the state, well, in theory, that sounds good because then the state could, in theory, manage it um, at a more local level. However, we've seen time and time again that the uh, ability to manage those those lands at the state level really just cripples a state budget. Um, something like a state out west, let's say it's California or Montana, that has uh, a lot more wildfires. The, the budget for wildfire alone would cripple a state budget. And so uh, while it's not a perfect system, keeping it in federal hands and man- managed federally seems to be a better option because otherwise we end up seeing that state ownership, uh, you know, like I said, breaking that system at the state and then they end up having to privately sell it off. Well, it seems like there's no end to the issues. Um, uh, some I think you haven't mentioned too is, for example, uh, Fish and Wildlife Service and animal rights organizations, this long dance about whether wolves are endangered or not. And um, uh, that never seems to go away over the over the years. And uh, uh, it just seems, <laughs> it seems like uh, a lot of these never get solved. They're just hang out there all the time, Aaron. Always. Yep. And that's something that, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of gone back and forth and discussed with some of the other areas in the country, uh, the wolf issue specifically. It's not something that BHA specifically takes a, a hard line stance on because we have so many members that are on both sides of the issue just personally. So while we don't take a hard stance of should they be on the endangered list or not, I guess we kind of default back to our uh, wildlife managers a lot of the time on things like that and say, well, is there a viable population in an area? And if so, if that population is large enough that it could sustain uh, being hunted, then we would be in support of that. Yeah, that's just basic uh, wildlife management uh, uh, way of operating. Um, As I've told uh, a lot of people, including the governor of Minnesota, um, you know, we can hunt pheasants. We still have pheasants. We can hunt deer. We still have deer. Uh, we can hunt wolves and still have wolves. Um, they can be managed like uh, any other renewable resource, but uh, we never seem to get to that point. Uh, it all ends up, it always ends up in a court with a judge who knows nothing about fish and wildlife management. So, Right. We end up seeing that a lot, uh, you know, across the country, whether it's New Jersey or Washington state uh, or, you know, the Midwest or the mountain states with wolves uh, in New Jersey and Washington state, they've had recent bear bans on bear hunting in those states, basically because the animal rights crowd uh, was louder than our side. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's trying to state back to that science and go, well, you know what? We have, we have manageable populations in these states. It's going to help on a lot of different levels uh, economically, keep from accidents happening. I would rather see a hunting season every time uh, than have to hear about somebody's, you know, house getting broken into uh, or their, you know, dog or cat being eaten by bears or wolves or cougars. Uh, but yeah, that's, a, it's, it's a management tool. Uh, hunting is a management tool and we definitely support uh, hunting seasons whenever those those populations are, are high enough. Yeah, you know what? Um, uh, I know this has really nothing to do with the backcountry. I'm just venting here myself, and that is I'm, I'm very disappointed in that the professional wildlife manager, 
wildlife managers, the professional ones, the ones who are on the front lines there are, are really quiet when it comes to defending their own science. They don't seem to speak out. Maybe they can't. I don't know. I mean, you know, most of them are bureaucrats or they're with a state agency or federal agency. But it seems like uh, the, the the profession of wildlife management gets kicked around, like you mentioned, by wild uh, animal rights groups, etc. Um, and nobody ever corrects them publicly. It seems like so. Yeah, I've uh, so I little background on me. Um, my my background was in animal ecology, and that's what I went to school for. And so I worked for the DNR for a short period of time. I worked for the USDA, and I worked with a lot of smart scientists. Uh, and they're all really bad at telling the story. Uh, so um, it's I think it kind of falls whether it's you know bureaucracy or whatever the reason they just don't do a good job of telling that story. And so a lot of it falls to the nonprofits to say and explain why we care about something or why something should be managed in a certain way because they have a little bit more ability to speak out on those things and, frankly, a responsibility to do so. Well, the wildlife profession better wake up or it won't be long. Uh, PETA will be managing all of our wildlife and they won't even have a job. <laughs> so. Right. You've seen that in some other states, too, where they've you know started committees in places for uh, I'm thinking specifically of Texas. There's a petition going around to start a committee on how they should manage mountain lions in Texas. Uh, and they're talking about adding mountain lot or, uh, you know, animal rights groups to that to that committee. And. You know, that's the question is, is that the people we really want at the table uh, when we're trying to manage wildlife? Yeah. Do they they offer anything besides uh, no all the time? Yep. Aaron, we'll take a short break here again. We're visiting with uh, Aaron uh, Havison. I might get your name, your last name right yet, Aaron. Um, No problem. Hey, bison. I tell people, hey, like straw, bison, like buffalo. (laughs) Hey, bison. Hey, bison. There you go. All right. <laughs> well, maybe get it. I might get it right by the time we end this podcast. But Aaron is with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Uh, break. We'll get back and talk more about uh, Backcountry, uh, the Backcountry organization. You've got some events coming up. We want to hear about that. Also, Aaron, we need to let folks know uh, how they can join Backcountry Hunters and Anglers when we return. Stay with us. I want to give a shout out to our friends at the Minnesota Historical Society. You know, right now, the Minnesota History Center is presenting Sherlock Holmes, the exhibition. You can actually step into Victorian London and explore the world of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's world-famous detective. You get to learn about the powers of observation, deduction, and science while solving an interactive mystery. Sounds like a ton of fun. Visitors can also try hands-on gadgets and experiments based on real forensics. See how Sherlock Holmes and the stories have influenced real detectives and also pop culture. Open now through April 4th. Learn more at mnhs.org slash SherlockMN. All right. We'd also like to thank North Dakota Tourism. 
Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. It's time to plan your fall hunt in North Dakota. Get this, with an estimated 3.4 million breeding ducks, North Dakota's central region is prime habitat for hunting waterfowl. In fact, right now, the state's breeding duck index sits 38% above the long-term average. And the water's up, too. The spring water index is up 616% over 2021. That's a good thing. Now, when you consider that North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting, guess what? You've got an outdoor oasis. For the latest information about public hunting lands and private land open to sportsmen and women, visit North Dakota Game and Fish Department. Bag your limit this fall in North Dakota. Visit LegendaryND.com. Hi, welcome back to the final installment here of the Minnesota Bound Podcast. I'm Ron Shera. My guest, Aaron uh, Haybison, is uh, with me, and he is an official with Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, works in Minnesota and a few other neighboring states as well. Uh, Aaron, uh, you mentioned the membership, uh, Minnesota people uh, in Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Um, you've got some... Uh, uh, special events coming up. Uh, I think one in, is it January? It is. Yep. Uh, we've got, we're calling it the North Country Icebreaker. And so it's going to be up on Mille Lacs out of, we partnered with McCoy's Resort uh, out of Isle. And so we're going to be on the lake up there. And for anybody who hasn't been to a, a Backcountry Hunters and Anglers event, we try and keep them uh, a lot of fun, informational, but really kind of share the camaraderie around it. And so whether you're a turkey hunter, a duck hunter, an ice fisherman, uh, or just simply like to go and camp and hike, uh, it, we invite kind of everybody to come out to events like this and, and really kind of get a feel for our organization. So uh, we did a similar event last year that was pretty specific to Minnesota. And uh, when I came on staff for BHA, they said, is that something that you could expand out to uh, the greater Midwest? So we're really inviting kind of anybody across the country, but um, really focusing in and highlighting some of the things that the Midwest and Minnesota specifically bring to the outdoors. And honestly, hard water is a thing that it gets overlooked. I think people don't necessarily think of our, our waters in Minnesota as public. They just kind of take them for granted. But, you know, boat ramps and going out, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of other things that you can say, well, this is public water and in the winter it turns to public land. So uh, taking, <laughs> taking this and going out on the water and showing people how to ice fish, doing seminars on dark house spearing, talking about winter camping, talking about snowshoeing. We got seminars and demonstrations on, you know, a lot of those outdoor activities, but also uh, a wild game contingent because a lot of our membership really gets brought into uh, 
the the outdoors if they didn't grow up with it. Um, you know, the the healthy, organic, sustainable food movement is huge. And so a lot of people are getting into wild game cooking or coming to hunting and fishing through wild game. And so we do have, we're going to have a, a cooking seminar uh, by a friend of ours, Jamie Carlson, who's a wild game chef. And then we do a wild game cook-off at the end of the evening, uh, kind of to cap off right before dinner. But uh, I mean, think about it like a, uh, you know, your, your standard kind of banquet type, but on steroids. So a lot more activity and engagement around uh, some of the fun things that we do and really have that open time to, to chat and discuss and share the camaraderie with uh, a lot of the other members and or not yet members. Well, Aaron, you mentioned everything except the date. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the date will be January 27th through the 29th. Uh, up on again on Malax at through McCoy's. And you have a website that people could check in to? Yep, we do. Um, so if you just Google search North Country Icebreaker, uh, it is the first thing that comes up on the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers website. But uh, you can also search backcountryhunters.org and that will bring you to the website and you can see what's happening around the country, some of the events that we have coming. And then there is a uh, link to upcoming events or you can pull down by each state and find out what's going on with each state across the region. And uh, I assume you can go region. to the website and join as a member. And if you can, what, what does it cost? Yeah. So membership is $35 for a year for an individual. We also have family, military, college uh, memberships available as well as the lifetime memberships. Um, and that gets you a uh, four issues of our backcountry journal um, some, you know, welcome packet type, uh, type swag stuff, as well as then with your information, your email, your address, you're going to be alerted to anything that happens in your state. So whether that is upcoming events or, um, you know, discounts available through corporate partners or, or, uh, promotions as well as uh, call to actions. So if there's something that legislatively we're trying to get a bigger voice out there, we might send you an email that says, hey, we'd like you to, to send this call to action alert to your local legislator and let them know, as a member of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, how you'd like them to, to vote on it. Well, Aaron, I wish you luck with this. I can't uh, emphasize enough how important it is for organizations like yours and another one I'm involved with, MenFish, MN-FISH, um, uh, and Ducks Unlimited, Pheasants Forever. Uh, you... We just, we hunters and anglers just have to wake up to what's going on uh, with our legislators and politics because we, I guess we'd rather sit around and talk about how to outsmart a deer rather than paying attention to what goes on in St. Paul or, or in Washington, D.C. So um, very important what Backcountry Organization does. And so I thank you for your contribution there, too. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's very important, and we're not. We typically tend to be a, a crowd that likes to go and sit out in a duck blind or in a nice house or in a deer stand and and not talk a whole lot. But it's things like this that, as we were talking about, if we don't voice it now, I, you know, those things are going to go away, and we won't have them to to have later. So, uh, legislatively, it's super important. But we use a, a moniker at BHA of public landowner, and it's the idea that. You know, you're already paying taxes on some of these areas. And so go out and use them as if you own them because you are paying for them. But as an owner, you have the responsibility to, you know, keep them clean and uh, respect them as if they were your own. 
And so that we, we also do stewardship projects, uh, trail cleanups, boat ramp cleanups, fence removal projects, um, as well, you know, kind of, like I said, boots on the ground projects to give back to those areas, as well as the legislative piece. Well, well said, Aaron. Uh, I want to thank my guest, Aaron uh, Habison. Hey, Bison. Hey, Bison. There you go. <laughs> I want to thank you, Aaron. Uh, Backcountry hunters and anglers, uh, check them out. Um, uh, and uh, uh, because we need we need groups like this. So with that, uh, that about does it for this Minnesota Bound podcast. The story behind the stories brought to you by Connecticut Water Treatment Systems. Also, like to thank the Minnesota Historical Society, Minnesota Propane Association, Star Bank. Hewitt Docks, and North Dakota Tourism. So until next time, don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. I'm Ron Shera. Mm-hmm.